Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin, and in this podcast, we're going to be talking about Evan Roberts. Now, if you're familiar with the history of revival, the name Evan Roberts is quite well known. He was the gentleman that is uh, considered to this day to have been instrumental in the Welsh revival of the early 1900s. He was born on June 8, 1878, in Lower Wales, and was the younger of two sons. His dad, as was many men in that area, was a coal miner, and his mother was a homemaker. Now, Evan grew up in a Christian home, and his family very diligently attended the Calvinistic Methodist Church, of which they were members. Now, according to Evan's mom, Evan was a good boy. He pretty much did whatever she asked him to do, and he was very obedient to her, at least, and he loved to play like other kids his age, but one thing that made him a little different is he loved to read, and any time Evan could get his hands on some money, like maybe a birthday gift or a Christmas present or maybe some uh, allowance that he earned from doing chores, he would spend that money on books. He especially, when he was young, liked to buy chapter books, so Evan always loved to read. The other thing that makes Evan different from the other boys and girls in the area was he was unusually serious and diligent about his Christian life from a very young age. In fact, this young man who would go on, as I said, to be instrumental in the Welsh revival where many people were saved, he began to seek the Lord for a special visitation when Evan was only 13 years old. And this is what he had to say about that. I said to myself, I will have the Spirit. And through all weathers, and in spite of all difficulties, I went to the meetings. For 10 or 11 years, I have prayed for revival. I could sit up all night to read or talk about revivals. It was the Spirit who moved me to think about revival. So that was a direct quote from Evan talking about his younger years. So we see here the Lord put a burden on young Evan's heart for revival. And what we mean by revival is where the Christians, they get a fresh love of God in their hearts. The Christians, they they clean their hearts up. They get rid of sin. They confess and forsake sin. They start letting go of questionable things. And they redevote their hearts and lives toward God. And when that happens, when the Christians experience a revival in their hearts, then it starts reaching out to people that are not saved. Then the Christians have the power of God in their midst that they need to truly help the lost and the unsaved, to help them come to the Lord, to help them pray through until they're forgiven and they know that they're saved, to help them pray through until they're freed of addictions and hindrances and things like that. But revival is key to all of that. But revival begins with the Christian people. Revival begins with the people that have been serving God, but they've let their love for the Lord grow cold. They've become lukewarm things like that. And so he was seeking God for a revival of religion, a revival of Christian experience in his hometown in Wales, at his church in Wales. And you'll notice he had been praying for this for 10 or 11 years. 
And he was so caught up in revival, he said he could sit up all night to read or to talk about it. So this was very important to young Evan. Well, Evan's father, as I mentioned, he was a coal miner. And he was injured in a mining accident at the Mountain Colliery. And in that accident, Evan's father's foot was crushed. And he would be off work for months. Now, this was serious. This would seriously impact the family's survival. And so, to keep the family afloat financially, Evan left school when he was just 11 years old and began assisting his father. If I understood correctly, initially he took his father's place, and then as his father began to recover, he was assisting his father. And his mother was heartsick that Evan had to stop his education, but she made sure that he was able to keep at least some of the money that he earned. And so, this is this what happened to Evan at 11 years old. His education came to a stop because of his dad being injured in a mining accident. Now, one of the things that Evan Roberts is famous for is preaching from a scorched Bible. And we're going to find out how that scorched Bible came about. Well, Evan was at this time seeking God already. He was seeking the Lord. He was praying. He would come home from working in the mine very, very tired. And unless it was a church service, Evan would settle down to read at night. Now, by this time, he was beginning to lose interest in the chapter books, in the fiction, in the adventure stories. And the Bible had become Evan's favorite book. And he would take his Bible with him down into the mines. And one day, while Evan was assisting his dad in the mine, there was an explosion. Evan came out virtually unharmed, but his Bible was scorched. So that's the story of how that scorched Bible came about. Well, after about 12 years of working in the coal mines, Evan felt like he needed to have more time to study the Bible and to pray. And Evan was beginning to feel a call to the ministry. At that time, he thought perhaps it was to the mission field. So to find a job that would give him more time and maybe some more energy when he got off work, he became an apprentice to his uncle as a blacksmith. Now, this kind of work is hard. Coal mining is very hard, very rigorous, very hard on your physical body, and being a blacksmith was no exception. It was also very hard, very um, physical work. But Evan, uh, Evan did well at it. About a year later, when he was 25, Evan began to formally study for the ministry at Newcastle Emlyn. Two weeks before starting his courses, however, something wonderful happened to Evan. The Lord gave Evan a vision of whales being lifted up to heaven. And he felt this was symbolic of the revival that he believed with all his heart that the Lord was going to send. And these visitations and these visions continued for several months. Evan would awaken twice in the night, always at the same time. However, when it was time to start the next level of his ministerial training, which would require even more studying, these visitations and visions sadly came to an end. So Evan, realizing this, renewed his seeking after the Lord. 
Now, while he was studying for the ministry, he had a very special experience under the ministry of a uh, revivalist named Seth Joshua. Now, before this experience, something always seemed to hold Evan back from knowing the fullness of joy and the certainty that he was really forgiven by God. He believed he was saved, but it seemed like that joy and that witness of the Spirit in his heart, it just seemed beyond his reach. And in this experience he had, in one of uh, Reverend Joshua's meetings, something happened. And he got that joy, and he knew that his sins were forgiven. And he felt ready to follow God's leading in everything he did, everything he said, and in all the places he visited. He committed his entire future to the Lord, for the Lord to do with his life as he pleased. Now, this is what's really neat, guys. Remember, keep in mind that Evan is going to be instrumental in the Welsh revival. Unknown to Evan, Reverend Joshua had been praying for years, specifically that God would send a young coal miner or a farmer to lead a revival in Wales. And Evan had spent years working as a coal miner. And Reverend Joshua had no idea that this young man that was being so touched under his ministry was actually the answer to his own prayers for revival in Wales. Well, Evan goes back to school, goes back to uh, be the equivalent of Bible school in our time. And he was getting more and more caught up with revival. It seems like that special touch that he had from the Lord, that special experience just caused his passion for revival to burn even brighter. And he was finding it hard to study. And he felt distinctly the Lord was calling him to go back to his home church, Moriah Chapel, and start a meeting with the young people. But he wasn't sure that this was the Lord. So he went and talked to one of his professors about it. And I love how his professor responded. He told Evan that that did not sound like something the devil would be leading him to do. <laughs> so Evan is, again, he's seeking the Lord about this. He's trying to make sure that this is what the Lord wants him to do. Now, to keep things in context, we need to understand what Wales was like at that time. Now, according to the eyewitnesses of the revival, the small villages in Wales that would be the most impacted by the Welsh revival were very religious. Now, notice I didn't say they were very Christian, but I said they were very religious. Even the most immoral people in the community believed the Bible was true. They believed in God. And almost everyone attended church. Because it was the thing to do. It was the socially acceptable thing to do. And times were very, very hard for many of these people, including Evan's own family. And to many people, life had begun to seem hopeless. Trying to overcome poverty, trying to, trying to survive, took almost all their energy. And the besetting sin of many of the people was alcohol. Many of the people, many of the citizens in these villages that were impacted by the revival, 
they had become addicted to alcohol. They were alcoholics. They had turned to alcohol to try to find some peace, to try to find some escape from their problems, escape from the hopelessness, escape from the poverty that seemed to hold them in its grip. And in turn, they became addicted and caught in this web of drinking. And fights had become a form of entertainment, and foul language was commonplace. And again, these are in religious, a religious community. So that's what Wales was like. That was the Wales that Evan was praying for the Lord to send a revival to. That was the Wales that Seth Joshua was praying that the Lord would send a revival to. And that is the Wales that a revival did indeed come to. Finally, Evan decided that he was indeed hearing the voice of God. And the Lord was telling him to go back to Moriah Chapel. So he heads to his hometown and begins to work among the young people, commencing a prayer meeting for the young people on a Monday night. And so help me, guys, it was Halloween. They started the prayer meeting that shook whales on Halloween night. you got to love that. You have to love the irony of that. You have to love the Lord showing His mighty power on the night that so many people associate with the powers of darkness. So, commencing on a Monday night, a Halloween, a series of prayer meetings were held at Moriah Chapel, and it was the youth group that were holding these prayer meetings. It was the youth group that was praying. Each night, the presence of the Holy Spirit became more powerful and more people were recommitting to their lives to the Lord and more people were being saved. Um, now, Evan may have been the spark that lit the fires of revival, but it quickly began to move elsewhere in Wales without his presence. Now, I had we just talked about how the revival started in a young people's prayer meeting. One of the things that happened in that prayer meeting is a young lady, a young teenage girl stood up and she testified and she said that she loved the Lord Jesus Christ with all her heart. And the Lord was there in such intensity and there was such an anointing on her testimony that the Lord began to move and soon all the young people in the meeting began to weep and pray and that, that was the breakthrough. Now, Evan's message, what was it that Evan was preaching uh, as he was a part of this revival and as he traveled to some other locations, what was it that he was preaching? Well, there was basically four parts to Evan's message. Number one, confess all known sin and receive forgiveness. Number two, remove anything from our lives that we are in doubt about or feel unsure about. Number three, be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly. And number four, publicly Confess the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the heart of the message that Evan carried. That was the heart of the message that sparked this revival. And I'm going to repeat that one more time because I think this is very important for us. If we ourselves are seeking revival in our heart, this message applies personally also. Confess all known sin and receive forgiveness. 
remove anything from our lives that we feel in doubt about or are unsure about. Be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly and publicly confess the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the revival began. It lasted from November 1904 to August 1905. So what happened? Pubs that had been full were now almost empty. The mines were now operating at 100% capacity because of a new work ethic among the miners. Um, The Welsh rugby team won a major victory, and the stories, the newspapers were printing more stories about the Welsh revival than they were the Welsh rugby team victory. People began faithfully attending meetings all week long, even after a hard day's labor in the mines. And many times in these meetings, the minister didn't even need to preach. They just, the people would gather together and begin to pray and worship the Lord, and the Lord would move. Now, here's something very important that I do want to point out. This move of God happened 1904-1905. Many of the young men who were saved during the Welsh Revival would die in World War I. It's like the Lord had mercy on those young men and sent that revival, sent that move of God, so that they could have an opportunity to be ready to meet God when that war broke out. And so I think it's precious that those young men were able to go into battle and know where they were going if they should die. And their families would have that comfort of knowing that their husband, their father, their brother, that he was ready to meet God when he died. So the timing of this is very very interesting. Well, one of the neat things that happened was these miners, these coal miners, they got saved or they had a renewal of their relationship with the Lord and they would go down into those coal mines with a spirit of prayer on them. And during breaks, they would hold prayer meetings and they would talk about the Lord and they would witness to those that weren't saved and they would pray for them. And soon, men were getting saved deep in the mines. While they were working, men were being born again and saved. And this is cool. You know, there are side effects of revivals, of true revivals. There are side effects. And one of the cool side effects involved the pit ponies that worked in the mines. The pit ponies were used to receiving instructions that were peppered with foul language, cursing and swearing. Well, the men, as they began to draw close to the Lord, their language cleaned up. And they weren't using that foul language anymore. And the pit ponies couldn't understand their instructions anymore. So, because their language had become so cleaned up. And I think that's kind of cool as one of the after effects of the revival. One of the signs that the Lord was moving there. So the pubs were closing. Um, The pit ponies couldn't understand instructions because there wasn't bad language involved. So we see a powerful, wonderful move of God. And someone drew a sketch that shows uh, the miners during one of their breaks. And they're praying. And these men 
these hard-working men taking a break, no doubt their bodies tired, are there with their heads bowed and their pitchforks laying on the ground in front of them, and they're praying. And one of them is standing in the middle with his hand up, and a couple of others are squatted down on the ground, leaning against one of the uh, one of the support posts there in the mine. But the Lord was moving in the depths of that mine. Now, one of the interesting testimonies that came out of the Welsh revival was about a man that was a boxer. Um, he was a very large, powerful, uh, muscle muscly man and he was known as the best fighter in the area and everyone was afraid of him but then the revival started and suddenly this man that everyone was afraid of he seemed afraid he was fearful he was fearful for the condition of his soul even though I don't think he had actually attended many of the revival meetings at this time but Holy Ghost conviction fell on him and he knew that he was not right with God And he didn't want to talk to anybody about it. And he didn't want to face anybody. That guilt that was on him was so strong. And he would leave for work early in the morning so he could avoid people. And his wife, she began to be afraid that he was losing his mind. And she spoke to the pastor. And the pastor prayed with her. And with her permission, he shared her concern with those attending the local prayer meeting. And so the group began to pray specifically for him. And she said one day her husband came home and he ate his meal and he went up to a nearby mountain. And apparently when he went up to that mountain, he went up there and began to pray and seek the Lord. And he was able to break through. And she said when her husband came down, he was a changed man. He was no longer the man that everyone was afraid of. And he no longer had that horrible burden of guilt and conviction. But he had been forgiven and he had been changed. And that was one of the uh, really cool testimonies uh, that came out of the Welsh Revival. Now Evan was putting everything he had into praying and leading these meetings and seeking the Lord. And he overdid And this is a common thing with people at work in the ministry. They see such a tremendous need. And they pour everything they have into it. And pretty soon they overdo. Uh, It was Robert Murray McShane that put it rather poetically. He was a Scottish uh, minister. And I liked how he put it. He said, the Lord gave me a message and a horse to ride. And alas, I've killed the horse. That's what he said, uh... Not too long before his untimely death at a young age, he had overdone. He hadn't taken the rest that he needed to take. Well, Evan, in 1906, suffered a physical and emotional collapse from overwork. And as is natural with this type of thing, he fell into a depression. But his faith in God held firm, and he turned to prayer as his main ministry. And uh, he went to England to recover, and he remained in England until 1921. In 1928, Evan returned to his hometown for his father's funeral. And he spoke just a few words at his father's funeral. He had not been involved in any public speaking for 22 years, and they said another small revival broke out just as a result of the anointing of God on the words he spoke at his dad's funeral. Now, um, a Welsh woman by the name of Mrs. Jessie Penn Lewis 
together with her husband, basically took over Evan's life after his collapse. Now, I'm going to express my opinion here. This is my opinion. I have mixed feelings about what Mrs. Jesse Penn Lewis did. I have mixed feelings about her influence in uh, Evan Roberts' life. But, um, back to the... Uh, Back to the narrative, back to the facts. It is true that some people, myself included, hold her responsible for Evans completely retiring from public ministry. Um, while he was with her, he wrote a few books uh, One with her, one of which was War on the Saints, which he later said he felt was wrong. And that book takes an extremely critical view of revivals in general, and much of it seemed to be aimed directly at the Welsh Revival. Uh, Mrs. Jessie Penn Lewis was a very strong contender against any type of emotionalism in church services, against any type of demonstration. And she was very quick to criticize uh, demonstrations such as people collapsing at the altar or things like that people shouting in meetings or people weeping in meetings she was very quick to criticize it and actually try uh in some instances claim that it was the work of the enemy to distract and so i've read a good part of of that book war on the saints it's very interesting uh but i believe that uh we can go too far we can go too far with emotionalism and I believe we can go too far in the other direction. But, as I said, uh, Evan Roberts later on said that he felt that book was wrong. So she had a lot of control over Evan, a lot of control over who he saw. Uh, the goal was to try to get Evan back into a condition where he could continue with public ministry if he so desired. And she and her husband, um, they actually made sure that he had a room uh, and privacy in their home where he was able to recover. Uh, there, there's no doubt that their intentions were very good. Uh, but like I said, um, I personally have mixed feelings about her involvement. Now here's what's interesting. Even though Evan collapsed, um, probably what we might call nowadays possibly a nervous breakdown, the revival continued for a long time without him being there, even without Evan actively participating. And the impact of the Welsh Revival was felt around the world. Newspaper reporters would uh, go and visit the Revival to write about it and see what was happening. And this, in turn, built up faith of other Christians around the world and built up a desire to see that same thing happen in their community. So there were a lot of similar revivals, similar move of, moves of God going on around this same time, this same time period. There was Azusa Street, the Welsh Revival, there was the Shantung Revival in China, and there was a revival going on in India. So the Lord was moving in many different places. And uh, I, think that's, I think that's wonderful, and I think it's exciting to see that. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Many thousands of men who attended the revival, many of the men that were born again and saved, would die in World War One. And it's beautiful how, in answer to prayer for the lost, the Lord touched these families before the war ever started. And I think one of the things the story of Evan Roberts should do 
is make us wonder what would the Lord do if we were only willing to pray. Now, Evan spent the remainder of his life in Cardiff, Wales, and he gave himself fully to the ministry of prayer and intercession. He died in obscurity in 1951 at the age of 73, but he is far from forgotten. And estimates say that 150,000 people were saved in the Welsh Revival. The revival that started when a young man left ministerial training at the leading of the Lord and started a prayer meeting among the youth at his home church. And I'd like to end this with a note that is written in Evan Roberts' own handwriting. And I think it's very powerful. It says, Dear friend, God loves you. Therefore, seek him diligently. Pray to him earnestly. Read his word constantly. Yours in the gospel, Evan Roberts. Well, I hope you enjoyed this, and I thank you for listening.